0: Hey, 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 everybody, welcome to another episode of Mind Your Body and Soul, the healthy podcast, hosted by myself, Joseph Ward, and my homie, Mr. Matias Sweet. What's going on, Matias?
1: Nothing much, nothing much It's working. Another day is Friday. I
0: know, on that roller coaster. <laughs> on that roller
1: coaster. I'm on right. that roller
0: coaster right. on that Wednesday. <laughs> so... Mind Your Body and Soul is an educational podcast that focuses on all things health related to help our listeners learn more about the various health topics and information they may not have access to. We seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to become the healthiest versions of themselves. Remember, Mind Your Body and Soul is available every Wednesday on our YouTube channel, this YouTube channel, uh, Neighborhood Medical Center YouTube channel, make sure you subscribe. Also, check out our website at nmcpodcast.com. Also, our parent website at www.neighborhoodmedicalcenter.com. Also, I mean, neighborhoodmedicalcenter.org, excuse me. Also, we're available on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube. Once again, like, comment, and subscribe this video. So, support, support. And and guess what? I got on my mind, body, and soul shirt. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. I thank know I, our
1: brother Ian right, and IT Ian. for
0: I putting up wanna, the shirts. I just want to make a couple of people jealous because I got my shirt. But here we are. <laughs> hey, so, so we got a good one today. We got a we got a great interview today. Pull out your pads, pull out your pens, get your mind right, put on your thinking cap, sit Indian style, get your applesauce, everything you need, and some water, because we help to get your water, because. Mm-hmm we have a gentleman on the podcast today who has a wealth of knowledge who's been in the trenches fighting with us for a while so i first heard about this gentleman when i myself worked at the health department he was one of our main components one of our go-to guys to help us be able to get the supplies that we needed on our level because um a lot of people don't understand how the dynamics of the health department work and it's a it's kind of i want to say kind of like a like ants would work or bees would work like a team. It's a team thing and everybody has critical jobs and this gentleman. His his job really helped us be able to get the supplies and the resources that we needed within our communities. And if he wasn't in his position doing what he was doing, it would have been difficult for us to operate. So now this gentleman is. Where we are on the on the in the streets on the floor level. He's the HIV AIDS program coordinator for area Two B. Florida Department of Health in Leon County. And when I when we first heard about him taking this position, the only thing, the first thing we could say is, well, we know he know what he's doing. We know he's know, because he's he's done a great job of educating himself. He's done a great job of inserting himself into the communities, inserting himself, uh, well, learning the information, uh, integrating himself into the different programs and learning different aspects of the HIV AIDS uh, the whole system and being able to master every level that he was at. And now he's brought that all to our level and our county and our community. And we're definitely grateful for that. So I want to welcome, like I say, he's the HIV program coordinator for Area 2B in Leon County here in Tallahassee, Florida, Mr. James East.
2: Joe, right. Matias, and, and the audience, thank you guys so much for that really gracious and far too gracious introduction. But I, I very much appreciate it. Um, Yeah, well, you're right. I've been working for the Department of Health for a bit now Uh, my entire career with DOH for the past 13 years has been with HIV specifically. So I really appreciate that all you do for the people in our community, neighborhood medical center, the testing, the care and access that you guys give to the people in our communities is absolutely vital. So thank you so much for your hard work. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. James.
1: So we're going to go ahead and jump right into it and, and mm-hmm. go ahead and get the interview started. You got so the
0: first question. Do it. You
1: know it. Can you tell the audience who you are, your professional background and why you chose to work in the public health disease prevention area?
2: Sure. As I as was mentioned just slightly earlier, my name is James Easton and originally I am from Miami, Florida, North Miami. And I've been working with the Department of Health since 2008. That's about 13 and a half years now, give or take. And believe it or not, as Joe had mentioned, I started my career with the Department of Health working as a secretary, uh, the HIV prevention program right. assistant in the Department of Health. I kind of took a $7,000 pay cut to come and start working for the Department of Health, um, you know, to sort of get in the door kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I spent five years working in that position, making sure that condom distribution and supplies were really expanded. Um, yeah. In that time I was working, I think we multiplied the number of the volume of condoms distributed, I think, by 1500%. <laughs> wow. It was pretty, it was huge, but that's the whole plan. The idea is to make them available throughout the streets everywhere people could possibly need them and encounter them to get them for free, specifically ones that they'll want to use. Right. which is very important. Right. Uh, yeah, but I worked in the central offices then. I worked for the patient care program for about uh, a year and a half and another couple of years with the ADAP program as a contract manager and as a, a consultant for that. So I learned the care side of it, the Ryan White side of it doing that. Went back to the prevention program in a um, in a programmatic role after I went back from patient care to do the state linkage coordinator position. Mm -hmm. And I think a combination of all those jobs, the learning the programs and the rules across them really set me up to be in a good position to take on the role as a HAPC. Because being well rounded and knowing what the the staff are supposed to do and what the federal requirements are is really important. Um, So Beyond that, I think it's really rewarding working in public health. Um, I get a great deal of satisfaction from helping people, from knowing that the work we do is helping someone better their lives, helping them stay healthy or get to a point where they can move forward and have a better life. Uh, I spent before, while working through college and before working for the Department of Health, I worked in lots of jobs where I was very successful at making other people rich Uh and I made good money and you know it's nice to be told oh you do such a great job but you know making one person exceedingly wealthy and not really helping the community didn't satisfy my soul it didn't help my heart feel better so once I finished college one of the first things I did was Applied for a job at the Department of Health, a couple of them in fact, and took one that I could get specifically in HIV, even though it was a really big pay cut, about $7,000, because I specifically, you know, it's a field that I care about very much. Um, You know, and the opportunity to help people and be there doing something that was really going to help people was something I couldn't pass up.
1: And I think that's why a lot of people get into this field, James. You know what I'm saying? The ones who don't look at it as a paycheck or the ones who really want to actually improve the community as a whole. That's the reason they get into it because they have a passion. And so I do want to thank you for your passion and your efforts in the Leon County area to be for helping us improve our service area.
2: Right. Thank you. No, and I mean, it's, it's absolutely vital. As you know, we have a lot of work here on the grounds in this area to get people access to care to get treatment. We have a very, we have a, ne- a good network of providers um, with the different Ryan White parts and things so there is full access. Our biggest thing is making sure that once we get people to care that they remain engaged and that yeah. they know that resources are here, that help is here and if you encounter a barrier or something that might put doubt in your mind or something that might prevent you from working that there's help that you could reach out to. That's going to help you get over those barriers, right? Right, absolutely vital, right? But
0: also someone like yourself, you help to remove barriers as well. You you yourself as the HAPC or in any other position you've been in, you haven't been a barrier and because we all know that certain people in certain situations and they have had even kind of other people who were barriers, but you are more of an obstacle remover. And so that helps the system as a whole flow because like we try to uh, uh, illustrate all the time on this podcast. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do this prevention by ourselves. So each entity is like a different position on the team and each entity has to play their position, but we all work together as a team as a whole and being able to work well together, it it helps really. Um, enhance the community, uplift the people, and also when you're talking about. Increasing condom um, distribution by 15,000%. You know we I mean? saw that. We saw that because condoms were readily available. Matter of fact. Um. Being on the ground level now as Hapsy and being able to go out now, if you go to go to these bars go to these restaurants, go to these smoke shops, go to these liquor stores, go to these places. The condoms are in the streets. You started that. Well, a- I, I,
2: I appreciate that very much. It was certainly is the idea and the work of a lot of people at the Department of Health locally too, but just the idea of making sure that there are no limits. One of the things that I noticed when, you know, I'd started that role years ago People would tell me, "Oh, how many am I allowed to order? Can I only order this many?" And I asked them, "Did, did you ever were you ever told to quote? Oh, we were told we can't order more than fifteen boxes of this." Right. Right. And that just seemed ridiculous. Uh, the idea was to make sure that you had a supply that would meet the community's need, not here's what you have, take it or leave it. So, right. um, yeah. it was very easy to convince of the need. There was also a lot of aligning with some of the changes with the federal government CDC put in and how they were approaching um prevention and things Mm -hmm. that really bolstered our argument for expanding very quickly and as you saw it, it it actually helped because now instead of people saying oh well i have to go to the health department just to get free condoms or i can only go here they can literally go to more than 150 different businesses just in leon county and yep. get handfuls of what they want not that generic no name brand stuff but condoms that people would actually go to the store and buy under with their own money. Yeah. And that's really yep. important. That's because right. If you're going if the health department's giving out a product that is boring that somebody is not going to recognize and wouldn't use on their own, they're not going to use it. Right.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's true. We all know. So mm-hmm. so HIV/AIDS program coordinator is your title. What you're doing now. So, for those who don't know, could you uh, explain what the position does and and how you go about using your position in the HIV/AIDS program to actually help fight the spread of HIV/AIDS?
2: Sure. So I'll let you know. Like uh, HIV/AIDS program coordinators in the state, there's 14 of us. So there's 14 various distinct regions that the state is broken up to for HIV services. So our area, Area 2B, like you had mentioned, it includes Leon, but also Gadsden, Liberty, Jefferson, Taylor, Madison, Franklin, and Wakulla counties. So we have the eight county service region, that's the capital region. And the HAPC is really the representative for service delivery at the health department. So how HIV health education and risk reduction, safer sex education, Mm -hmm. Um, HIV testing, outreach, community mobilization, early intervention and access to care, the linkage to care component. Right. Uh, you know, all of those things, uh, reporting functions. A lot of people aren't aware, but HIV, as well as many other uh, communicable diseases or infections, are reportable by law. And there's a very strict guideline that the health departments have to follow when. Reporting new cases and making sure that those people, when they're newly diagnosed, are able to access care and treatment immediately. And that's really where we work with our partners, um, our healthcare providers, not necessarily on the surveillance end, but uh, more on the linkage end to make sure that people get into a good medical home that's going to provide them quality access to care and treatment and not just their HIV. But them overall, when, right. when you're approaching HIV care and providing somebody access to treatment, you can't just treat somebody's HIV because you're missing exactly. the whole point. You look okay. at the whole person, where they're coming from, what kind of situation they have, if they have other conditions that need attention as well, all that needs to be in consideration. So CAPCs yeah. are responsible for making sure that there's a comprehensive relationships and network of providers in the region that work with each other. So there's a really broad scope of access to services. Um, That's really vital. We also provide technical assistance on Ryan White, specifically Ryan White Part B programs, but I'll talk about Ryan White Care Act to anybody who wants to know a little bit of that. Um, So technical assistance to community-based organizations and to lead agency who happens to be in our region, Big Ben Care's care point for Part B services. Um, So, technical assistance about patient care, about Ryan White, HIV testing, community mobilization. Um, So, yeah, testing, training, reporting, we do a lot. Um, There's not a lot of people who work in our office. It's very much regional. Mm -hmm. but We have a total of eight people um, who are doing this work and working with our providers in the community. And um, I think we do a really great job. The other main role of the HAPC is, of course, to supervise the regional staff that are working. So we have key positions here that are regional, our EIC, our MAC, our PTC coordinator, our linkage specialist, and our surveillance coordinator, who all are responsible for making sure that these services are done within the eight-county region. Right. Okay. Okay.
0: And I... I've always thought of the position as uh, basically you 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 help manage and um, regulate how HIV operation, what how services operate and be able to deliver um, care to the different patients that they see. And everybody does different things because our last our last podcast, we broke down the Ryan White Cares Act and the different parts A through F. So people make sure you go back and look at that. But um, Within our region, like he's saying, he's making sure all of these entities operate can can operate to the fullest level, because I know when I when I was the EIC, my mindset was. If these organizations are going to be at their best, I need to be at my best, so I need to make sure that I'm providing them with everything that they need, because if they don't have the resources, then it's my job to get them the resources. But at the HAPC, it's your job to make sure that I got the resources to get those
2: them the resources. Joe, you put it almost exactly right, and you had mentioned that it's like a a beehive where there's workers and everybody in the chain of command that does that. So you're exactly right. Right. Making sure that my staff have not just the training and knowledge, but the capacity, the resources and the know it all, the networks, all those things to be successful in what they're doing, to expand access to testing, to do more mobilization that brings more awareness into our community. Right. Uh, that is our ultimate goal. Year after year we want to be growing these efforts, adding more right. testing sites, getting more people certified to test, expanding on the technologies that we use and that are allowable for us to do, making it easier for facilities to do it and to feel better about helping their community do it. You right. know, we do e- we we want to make sure that these things are as easy and accessible as possible. A good example of that is during the pandemic, we switched a lot of our HIV 500, 501 certification. And as Joe would know, that's the certification to become a rapid HIV tester in the state of Florida for the Florida Department of Health. Um, and that training, you know, it's pretty intensive. Sometimes three whole days of trainings, oh, 12 yeah. hours of online. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah. And it's a lot and that can be a burden itself. So we've done a lot to reduce the amount of time it takes for this 50501. Uh, we're doing it through online platforms, through teams and such, just to make sure that people who, for whatever reason, could not attend face to face, either because of distance or even because of fear of, you know, of going into and sitting in a group of people with, you know, we want to make sure that we're accommodating with it and changing the times, and that's really important. Because being so strict and saying, nope, this is the rules and that's how it has to be is no way to help the community and help expand access. Now that said, I believe in rules, but one of the one of the things I truly believe a HAPC is responsible for is looking at the rules at the local level, the state level, and the federal level, and finding where we can re- strategically remove red tape and cut barriers away between all of those things. So the HAPC's one of my roles is interpreting policy and interpreting how the cooperative agreement states what we can do. Um, So it's there's sometimes there's wiggle room where other people are really strict you know there's often a lot of space to do Uh, what's allowable, even though others wouldn't. So looking at it, examining it and saying yes, we can do that. There's nothing about that activity or what's doing that says we can't do that.
1: That's right, that's right. So to piggyback off of that, what services does the HIV AIDS program provide and how does the health department and community organizations also provide HIV AIDS services?
2: Sure, so. As we mentioned a little bit ago, we provide HIV prevention services, which is that high impact condom distribution, lubricants, uh, health education, and sex education. Um, so we do safer sex and risk reduction education for adults, which is basically teaching adults how to have safer sex encounters and reduce their chance for HIV. You'd be surprised, You're, you'd probably not be surprised, but a lot of people would be that most adults have no idea what they're doing. Right. They talk you're right, they you're talk right. about it with their parents. And a lot of times they get all their moves from pornography and Instagram.
1: That's it, twiddle, <laughs> all the different little things. So we know.
2: Yeah, and so that's really important, making sure that we're teaching adults, hey, this is actually how you can be safe and still have fun, uh, which is important because if you're not having fun, nobody's going to do it. Right. This
1: right.
2: Is, um, What else we do? HIV testing and training services. So not just do we do testing out of our clinics and offices, but we work with all of our partners, neighborhood and 25 or 26 registered testing sites in Leon County alone um, to, to offer free testing. All of the sites that work with the health department do not charge for the test. So they're 100% free, HIV testing, syphilis testing. A lot of sites are having hepatitis C testing as well. Uh, Making sure that all of those tests and those supplies are throughout our community. Anytime anybody want to get a test is vital. We also do the home take home or quick HIV test for people who might be apprehensive about coming into the health department or going and see a provider sitting across the table from somebody testing them. I'm not a fan necessarily of that device. Um, I like counseling when it comes to counseling and testing. Regardless of the result of that test, positive or negative, there's a, there's a decision to be made. Behavior right. change, if it's negative, to, to go ahead and think again about, wow, that encounter that had me freaked out, that I was yeah. sweating over for the past two months. I'm glad that right. that test result is negative, but what am I going to do to make sure I don't feel that again? Right. So that's
1: the important part of the educational part that comes into too, because a lot of people are scared to go get tested and they brought they mustered up the courage to get tested, but now I got to keep that pattern and that's our job as educators is to go back and try to keep that pattern and try to make them do that healthy lifestyle and look at those risk reduction things on how we can make sure that, yeah, you might have six sexual partners, let's try to at least one person can we induce condoms to, then the next time, let's try to do two. We're going to do baby steps <laughs> and figure out what
0: Man, we can practical. Do.
1: Right and, and just make it more realistic and understand it's okay if you fail, but we're here for you to you know educate you to say, hey, we get you right on the track. we're in this together. But All, I, one thing that you step, touched on was can you tell the people where they can go to get tested like what website to find those 28 other providers in the area where they can find a provider or how can they find providers in the area who do free HIV and um, STD testing?
2: Absolutely. So the state of Florida has a website that we call the it's www knowyourhivstatus.com so K-N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-H-I-V-S-T-A-T-U-S.com and what that does it brings you to the state's prevention page on there there's a couple of different options where it gives you a number you can text with your zip code to that tells you testing sites within a 10 mile location of you or you can just use the search engine directly there on the website Mm -hmm. um, and find, just enter your zip code or the city that you're in. It'll pull up a list of all the testing sites that are registered, there times and when you can get tested. If you know where the health department is or if you know where any of, say, like the neighborhood medical center clinics are or CarePoint or throughout, um, drop in, they're all testing sites. Uh, But certainly go to the website and pull it up because we want to make sure that people know where those sites are, that there's a lot of community partners that are active and that care that aren't just health department, that aren't just uh, medical providers, but also clinics, sororities, churches. You know, we want to make sure that people know that testing is not just this clinical thing that the health department does, but it's something that is vital for the community and can be accessed right in their community. So,
0: how does uh, let's say I I have an organization I learn about HIVAs, I'm interested in it and I want to become a, a test site and be, and help prevent HIV. So what are the steps that an organization can take to become
2: a registered test site? Sure, that's a great question. So first of all, first and foremost, having the interest of helping your community, that is the number one thing to do. And then, approach the program office so reaching out to the Florida Department of Health in Leon County or depending on where you are in the state any of the 14 county 14 regional service program areas and letting them know I am in this community I really want to start providing a service and offering HIV testing I think it's vital to the community what are my first steps And what we'll do is get that person and those that organization, their staff signed up, first of all, to go ahead and get certified as testers, because that's a really good step. And we work, the same person who does the testing, the early intervention consultant, is also the person that works with these sites to go through all of the requirements for setting up, for reviewing of the site or facilities that they'd be using, where they're going to be offering testing to make sure that they can ensure confidentiality and privacy of people, uh, making sure that all the other uh, requirements are done. The department has what's known as a technical assistance guideline for HIV testing sites that they use and follow to make sure that all of those things are in order. Once the site is registered and set up, they have testers. For the first year, sites are going to be required to use an oral collection test the AuraSure uh, testing device, and after a year of testing and using the AuraSure device, they can then move on, get a CLIA waiver, make sure that their site is CLIA waived, which is a clinical lab uh, license, and waiver is a white labor of that for these devices. And once they have that, they can start doing the rapid blood stick uh, testing and stuff. The beauty of that is that the department makes sure that there's no material cost for a testing site, or for that, uh, when it comes to any cost for test kits, any cost for clinic supplies or gauzes, band-aids, workspace towels, the things that a tester is going to need to really complete their whole post, pre, and post test counseling session, uh, we want to make sure that it's as easy as possible for them, and that they have to incur as least amount of, you know, funding as they they don't have to spend their own money to do this. Right. Right. I appreciate that.
1: So, yeah, that's great information to know, and this goes, the next question, you know, no matter what you do in healthcare, people have those misconceptions. Mm -hmm. They have those, oh, somebody told me this, somebody told me that. So what are some misconceptions about the health department and or your HIV program that you would like to clear up, so people can have, so people can be better informed.
2: See the health. You brought up a big question because that, for <laughs> a long time, the <laughs> health department and government-based healthcare, public health that the government put forth, has been full of good reason for doubt and mistrust. Uh, there's really valid beliefs in the past and examples of public health activities that were done that weren't there to help people, that on their face were told, oh, we're going to help you. But the real intent of them was harm or done so with disregard for the harm that the people would suffer. Right. Um, And that's not all right. We could talk, you know, look, at going back to the 19th century smallpox blanket campaigns against Native Americans, where, you know, blankets with smallpox disease already in it were purposely given to people just to kill them. Um, what else is a good example of that sterilization campaigns? The United States allowed people to be sterilized against their will up until 1972. So entire populations of Native Americans, people that were considered undesirable, or uh, even there was a medical term uh, that they used for for idiot. That was a classification that would mean that that person is allowed to be sterilized against their will. That stuff that did go on, the Tuskegee experiments, is yet another prime example where people were given syphilis, never told it, then for 20, 25 years in this experiment where they had the, exposed their wives and all of their children and nobody was ever told went for years of suffering with never being offered treatment that was readily available. So there's a, a lot of people have good reason why they, you know, would have distrust in the Health Department. So, <laughs> one of the main goals of what we do when it comes to community mobilization in particular, community outreach and mobilization, is to help dispel some of these distrusts. Right. Because right. in reality, the services that we provide here, the access to the, to the medications, antiretroviral medications, links to care, HIV testing and things, are only meant to save lives. Uh-huh. They're, they're, you know The drugs that we provide, if somebody's living with HIV and they're not taking meds or can't because they can't afford it, don't know where to start, not taking those meds and just ignoring that is not going to be good for them and it's not going to be right. good for their family very sooner than later, even if they're feeling all right right there, they're going to get caught up being desperately sick. And you have no immune system and the smallest thing is going to get you hospitalized. How are you going to take care of yourself? How are you going to take care of the people that really rely on you? Exactly. So staying healthy is tantamount. That's one of the main things we make sure to tell people that regardless of what the, you know, you know about the health department, things like that, the reality is these services is here, are here to help. And if you don't have any other choice, if you don't have other options, know that this is here know that you can get the medication and the treatment and access you need and even many other services you know that's right, one right. of the main th- messages we want to get out another thing that we do when it comes to mobilization is that knowing that knowing that the health department isn't necessarily going to be trusted even if we speak from our heart and there's 100 percent truth in it just because we're from the health department there's going to be that distrust so a lot of what we do is we work with gatekeepers. We work with people in the communities that are community members that are well-known, respected people. They don't have to be experts in HIV, they don't have to be experts in public health. They have to be experts in loving their community. They have to be experts in caring for the people in their neighborhood that you know that are you know suffering or not or unaware of what's going on when it comes to the levels of HIV, the new infections going on, you know, the things that are unspoken need to be spoken about. So we work with those gatekeepers and help provide them with training, you know, even sending them, paying for them to attend, you know, national level trainings to become better speakers and know more about public health, making sure they have access to those same resources we work with our community providers. We want to make sure that these gatekeepers have the tools and the resources they need to go and speak to the community because we know they're going to be those people are going to be listened to much more than the Health Department is. Like I said, we could have professionals speaking the absolute truth with compassion and care. But unless it is somebody who that neighborhood already trusts and has faith in that, message is not is only going to be heard by a few people instead of more.
0: Yeah, the, the gate using gatekeepers is a must And I can say this, um, growing up, why why narratives can be powerful, but false narratives can be powerful and damaging, but misleading. So and this is not politically correct in any way. or It's not correct at all in any way. So here in Tallahassee growing up. How it was explained to us is. You would go to the health department on Old Bainbridge, Robinson Stevens. You would go to that health department if you had an STD. And you would go to the Orange Avenue Health Department if you had HIV. And so yep. we we were told that in like middle school by like high schoolers, guys we looked up to. So that that authority figure thing. So not ever having to come to the health department or our parents never taking us to the health department that was always branded in our mind. So, um, I lived on the south side, so I would always ride past Orange Avenue and that's what I was always thinking: is, wow, that building is only for people with HIV and, you know, looking, it's a, it's a nice size building. But then when I actually started working there and went in the building and seeing all the services that you can get in the building, I'm like, okay, We got to do a better job of making sure we get the the actual information out about what these different organizations, what these services is, but especially the health department does, because you have a whole population of people who really think that this building is only for people who may have HIV, may almost contract it or any realm of that, when actually you can come in this building and get some services that can help enhance your life.
2: Joe, I'm really glad you you brought that up. Because we deal with that all the time. You know, we, we do provide HIV services out of our suite in this building. And we've got a small corner of this building. There's a lot going on here. Right. But I've had people tell me, you know, I don't want to go in because that's where pe- people, if I walk in that building, somebody's going to know I have HIV. Right. And what we've, well, I've been very, one of the things I want to make sure is that so nobody feels uncomfortable walking in here. We went through great effort to make sure that there's no big signs saying "Hey, HIV services here." Our area, in particular, is very indiscreet, uh, making sure that people know that what we provide here is public health, which is what the sign on our door says. But it's hard to dispel those long-standing things, like you said. That was what you heard in middle school from high school kids, and I'm not going to put an age on you, but I'm guaranteed that was more than 10 or 15 years ago. Right. 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 <laughs> so how long is that still, you know, that's still perpetuated. Yeah, it is. And the reality is in the building, you neighborhood medical center uses more about three quarters of the, the total space for their clinic operations in this building. And the, the, it ain't just HIV. Yeah, people, somebody can go and get an HIV care at neighborhood, but they can also go get care for all of their health care needs at neighborhood. And that's right. something they needed to realize that. The HIV program is a small smidgen in a corner here. Yes, it happens to be in this building, but you're missing a lot, including community dental. Yeah, Uh, I remind people all the time that the health department dental program is only for children. It's literally a children's dental program, and when it comes to adult dental health care, this community on the south side, There's not a lot of providers and options. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get good dental care even if you have good dental insurance. Imagine if you don't have good dental or any. So the services- If
1: you need dental dental work, we have that here. We work on a sliding scale fee. So I mean, the services are here. It's just people have to really know, you know, I got to do my sales pitch, Joe. Mm -hmm. um, To make sure that, you know saying? People know that the services are here and the resources are here. We don't know because we don't ask. And then people, feel like oh these services been here like neighborhood has been here for over 40 years in existence over 4 decades and people still don't know about the services we do and we provide great services for people with no insurance who are insured underinsured and people who are trapped in the middle right. so i mean what well, that's services
0: the services are here that's the whole that's the whole purpose of this conversation and, and it's, excuse me if it seems dark cuz somebody turned my lights off so, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole services i mean the whole um point of this and and being able to have you on is to explain to our audience, explain to the people, hey, let's go beyond what we think and let's go seek the information and let's go learn more. But also, we know on our end, we could do a better job of getting out and telling people more and and us making sure people know that you just because you walk into the building, nobody has to know. Well, unless you walk in the building and say, "Hey, this is exactly what I'm coming in here for," nobody knows why you're coming in here. Nobody knows why you're getting the services. So I, I, I had a cousin once who didn't want to get STD services because he didn't want anybody to know, and that's just simple. Hey, well, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you know, just, that's the truth. Know. Like you could walk into a building, and just because you walk into the building does not mean that you're there for HIV service. Like if you go into the uh, 872 West Orange Avenue, there's no telling what you're going in there for. They have WIC services. A lot of people go there to get the WIC for the, you know, saying pregnant mothers and children and get those services that they knew. They have pharmacy inside, you have medical, you have dental, you come to a primary care office. It's a lot of different things that are held in each health department building and they're not even operated by the health department sometimes, they're operated by other community agencies. So you're not just going, you're going to a health department entity to a building, but not to the health department itself for HIV or STDs. So right. the reality
2: is it's a county building. It's not even a health department building. Exactly. It's a county building yeah. that the health department happens to have a couple of office spaces in. Yeah, right. right.
1: But they don't do that when they go into the store in the mall yeah. and say, oh, I was in the dealers. You know so, what I'm saying? And I, I was, I spent a lot of money because I went to dealers.
0: Well, so, so I mean, yeah, let's, let's, Let's take this moment to clear some things up while we're talking about this because if it depends on how long you've been in Tallahassee, the 872 Orange Avenue for a lot of the population is known as Bond.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, so let's do some clearing up. Yes, Bond used to operate out of that building many Bond, years ago. Right, many years ago, right? <laughs> Bond Community Health Center is literally located on Gaston Street here in Tallahassee. That building is. bond the actual bond community health center 872 west orange avenue is a county building that the health department and neighborhood operate out of now through the internal with within the 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 public health realm we call it orange the orange avenue building that's what most of us or they call it um
2: richardson uh, lewis
0: yeah right now the community still calls it bond (laughs) or the health department building across from South, uh, across from NIMS. And and so, and I'm throwing these different names out. And so for us, we have to understand that. So when somebody says, yes, I, I have an appointment at Bond. And so I have to make sure you mean, you mean Bond on Gaston? No, the old Bond building. Okay, all right. So you have appointment at neighborhood on Orange Avenue. And so it's just being able to associate that. But once again, if you're in your community, you know how your community talks and you can communicate.
2: I get literally once a week, we'll get that call to the health department main line saying, hey, I have an appointment at Bond with the health department. Yeah. And we say, so you're talking about Orange Avenue, right? Are you, do you mean neighborhood medical centers? Because, yeah, they're right here. That's who, okay, that's who you're talking about. Right. Remember, Bond hasn't been in this building, but two, that was two moves ago Yeah, that Bond was in this space. And that was about two, two, three, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 12 yeah.
0: years.
1: And I think what a lot of people have the misconception is because neighborhood and bond are the same type of entity. We provide a lot of the same services, but we're two different organizations. Yeah. You know I'm saying? We provide the same we, we reach the same populations. We do all the other stuff. So one's not better than the other. You know, what I'm saying not competition. There's things out there. So it's just about making sure that we can reach who we can reach and each entity reaches different yeah. um, people, you know I'm saying, different services. Sometimes it just depends on the level of services and and, and what they need and, and which provider they choose to be with and who they want to go, what side of town. So those are the things that, you know saying, people got to understand too, is we don't get upset when you say, oh, that's bond or that's neighborhood. We mm-hmm. you know what they're talking about. It's the same thing we get. We just want to make sure you get to the right care that you need and it's not about, oh, right. I go to this place, I go to that place. The services are the same service. It's just you got to understand you can't use both at the same time. You can't <laughs> double dip. You can't go back and forth. So, especially right. for the insured patients, you, you got to pick so, one of yeah. And so that's where the people get the misconception because we're well, all the same thing. And a lot of people say, well, y'all the same agency. No, we're the same type of entity, just two different agencies.
2: And so, I want to make you bring up a really important point because. Notice what is not here on the south side of town in the Bond community or south city is a hospital, urgent care, emergency rooms, any of those other things that we find on other sides of town. Uh-huh. So making sure that there is more than one, you know, remember for a long time people thought Bond was it. Yeah. You know. And knowing that bond is there on the south side and in South City, knowing that neighborhood is there, knowing that care point, and even the FSU primary care centers that are starting to pop up, you know, in rural areas, they have one on uh, in the Roberts uh, off of Roberts Avenue in Seminole Manor. Yeah, yep. it's absolutely vital that access to for people who generally don't have or traditionally haven't had access to primary care or other care now do and it's mm-hmm. right where they are they don't have to get a bus and a transfer to get there they don't have to choose that maybe that's just the one option and i had a bad experience with them something years ago and i don't want in that you know you have options now in this community right and right, it's really right. vital because people's choice where they seek health care have their comfort with it is going to be is so important to them continuing it
0: right so so with that being said Explain to the people why HIV AIDS prevention and education services and HIV care services are needed and important and kind of help them understand how these services can help transform a person's life
2: for the better. Sure, so prevention services are needed because we know that HIV is spreading in our community. So I can tell you right now that The people who are transmitting HIV in our community are not the people who know they have HIV. Right. People who know they have HIV and get treatment take very specific measures to protect their loved ones and the people they love. So we know that's not where HIV is coming from. We know HIV is coming from people who have no idea that they have HIV in the first place, how long they've had it because they've never bothered to get tested or are scared to get tested. Right. That's the bigger thing. Or might not even think that they're at any risk whatsoever, that their behaviors weren't at all risky. That's just something that people do. Right. And so that's where prevention is really important, teaching people that look, you know, there's nothing wrong with having sex, especially if you're with, you know, partnering up and, be, and reproduction, progeny, keeping the human race going. Is absolutely vital and important, and that's not going to happen through a condo. However, right. when choosing a partner, when knowing who's this person that I want to create this next life with, or if you know if that's on your mind, then you know be selective and talk. That's the biggest thing when we talk about sex and health education. Seventy-five percent of that conversation is how do you talk to your partners about this? How do you have this conversation with the people that you're meeting? That potentially are gonna be somebody you're gonna get intimate with So, mm-hmm. did you bother to talk to them are you too scared to so teaching people how to how to overcome those fears of having this oh. conversation how to be able to speak up and say unless we're using a condom this isn't going to happen mm-hmm. because there's a lot of negotiation that, and talking things like that that come into sex that come into courting people you know hooking up
1: I'm and bored.
2: A lot of people, I've heard it a million times, where they thought they didn't have the right to speak up and say that I want to use protection. They thought that if I tell this person, we need to use a condom, that they were going to, you know, that's their last chance. They might have had a real crush on this person, you know, been the hot dude with the the eight pack that they've been crushing on for nine months, who's giving them attention now. And they think if they argue or put up a fight and say, no, we need to use protection, that's, they lose their chance, mm-hmm. so making sure we're teaching people that, for you it takes two, it ain't just him, if it's both you, it takes two people to have sex, and if you're not satisfied that it's safe enough, you have every right to say, nah, not right now, maybe we can do something else, another time when we're, you know, protected, but that skill set is really vital, a lot of people don't even know how to yeah. start, um, yeah. So that's why prevention is really one of the reasons why prevention is important. But, so that's that side of that test when we have people knowing, first of all, preventing an infection from taking place is somebody's best possible outcome. So if somebody, even if somebody has HIV, we know that treatment is there. We can, they can become virally suppressed and live a long life. Remember, life expectancy for somebody living with HIV who takes their medication is what, 90? which is the life expectancy for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. so right. What does that mean? HIV is not, as long as you treat your HIV, it's like treating diabetes or any other chronic condition that just needs a daily maintenance medication. That HIV, right, you know, right. doesn't stop life, marriage, children, families, paying bills, being as miserable as everyone else, right. is the best way I put it. You have a right to be just as miserable as everybody else, yeah, <laughs> right. Because yep. you know, a lot of people. One of the misconception is the minute I contract
1: HIV, it's a death sentence, and that's oh, not
2: it yeah. used to be
1: for what people used to say. But now, with the advancements in medication and all those different things, they're able out there to live normal, healthy lives. And like you said, that life expectancy is ninety years old. Or 90 or 100 plus we did celebrate the one person who did have HIV and she was like 100 101 so mm-hmm. those are the things that you know what I'm saying those milestones that we're creating and breaking barriers as it moves into the new generation and with the new advancements in technology as far as medication and treatment so those are the things but and like would you say with the communication and talking that's what Joe and I preach every time through classes through our um, post-test and uh, pre-test counseling is the communication have you had those open conversations? We don't want you to say in the middle of the act of you doing something sexual, I didn't like that, I wasn't comfortable. You should say that before he starts midstream doing whatever he's what, doing. What, so yeah. or whatever she's doing. So Joe and I look at ourselves as the big brothers and the little big brothers to some people in the community and be like, hey, let's have these conversations because nobody's telling you to talk. It's okay. And that's the issue is the communication isn't coming from those gatekeepers or from those people that look up to people in the community to say, hey, ask these questions, talk about this because a lot of people don't know you could prompt the simple conversation with motivational interviewing, with open-ended questions to, to lead you into those questions to talk to yep. say, hey, this might not be a good situation for us to have sex. <laughs> or maybe we need to wait and, and talk about Evaluation. things later, how about we go get tested first because mm-hmm. you said your body count was this and mine is this, so let's go see what we can figure out first. Those." And understanding those methods of uh, communication can help you keep yourself negative or keep yourself in a safer predicament. So that is one thing that we Joe and I know we
2: preach every time we go out in the community. One of the things in prevention, one of the things I like to make sure um, I tell people about especially in our te- in, is I tell them parents are absolutely in America are terrified to talk yep. to their children about sex but you know who's not Grandma. grandma has no qualms about talking about sex about going up and saying "Uh uh-uh your fast tail is not Mm going to make me a great grandmother that yet here's condoms make sure you use them i have grandmothers who come into our office and literally fill their booty bag full of condoms and lubricants and says these are for the kids in my neighborhood there's Mm -hmm. a group about, you know five or ten kids that are hanging out with And I want to make sure that they all have access to them and know exactly what it's for. Right. And so grandmas, she's might not know everything about, you know, safer sex and HIV, but she knows that these that kids aren't hearing it and they're certainly not going to get it from their parents. So somebody has to step up and be like, hey, here's the reality. Y'all going to be doing it. You're going to go out there and be having sex. Protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. I
0: mean, it's. It's like gospel to me because we've been able to firsthand see the impact of the services that we provide as as the different entities working together. But um, and and you knock that question right out of the park because I want people to really wrap their minds around why these services exist and why they should take advantage of these services. I keep telling people, Tallahassee, it is unique. Do we have our challenges and issues? Yes. But Tallahassee is unique this is one city where you don't have to go hungry you don't have to starve in this city there's a there's literally like a food distribution every day if not every day almost every day like we say there are con- free condoms on every corner we will find a way to get you the services that you need we will find a way to get you the care that you need if you contract hiv aids and you don't have a job, you don't have health insurance, well guess what, we got a program called ADAP that we can enroll you in, that can help you get all the services you need so you can live a healthy life up to your 90 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and the three faces you're looking at, we're, we're three of the of the main faces in this community that will help make these things happen. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast, James, so people can see your face, they can connect the face with the name, because I, I know a lot of people heard, well, James Easton, James Easton. Who is James Easton? Voila, <laughs>
2: here he is. Right, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. So, um, well, I appreciate that too. I'll, I'll be honest though. In the past, when uh, I do speaking engagements or things, people ask for like a picture and a bio. Yeah, I'll send a little snapshot of like a portrait of Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But uh, you know, um, that's me. Ultimately, I. I don't want to. It's important that people know who I am mainly so they know what services and things that they need to reach out. But the most important thing is knowing that the program is here, knowing that the staff are here that do this excellent work and how to contact us and how we can help them get in line with the agencies like yours that can provide them with wraparound healthcare services with full spectrum services. Right. that are going to make them, their life outcome much better, you know? Remember, we're, we, live, we live in a community where there's a lot of people who don't even have, you know, who didn't, weren't given access to annual visits and didn't have a primary care doctor where they went to growing up, you know? So, there's, it. people take for granted that, oh, well, I just go to the doctor every year and I just go when I go. That's a, that It actually takes being taught how to do that, Mm -hmm. how to schedule those appointments, how to go there, how to, you know, navigate life to make sure that all these things take place. And if you're not taught that and if you're not shown that growing up, it's very hard to learn that behavior. So learning how to go to the doctor, knowing how to go get that lab done because the doctor is going to need it. And it's not something that can wait. Knowing that you don't let your prescription run out of fills if you need to take this medication every day. Right. All things that people got to be taught a lot of times. So one of the bigger things is just being patient with people and teaching them here's why it's so important. When your doctor says this, they are not kidding. Don't trust me. I'm, I'm not a doctor. You know who you should trust. The doctor. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Like another point to where, like when people get access to healthcare, they don't understand. Like when you go to some primary care offices and you say, I want to get a physical, they're not testing you for STDs. They're not testing you for Mm -hmm. different things. When you go as a female and go get a pap smear, they're not automatically doing the STD panel. They're just (laughs) for certain different things that go along with the pap for like cervical cancer and things like that. You have to request those services. So a lot of people think, oh, I went to the doctor for an annual, I'm good. But you didn't get an HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia. You didn't do that. And then a lot of people don't also swab when they go to the doctor for their oral cavity for, um, cause you can get STDs in the throat. You can get STDs in the rectum. A lot of people don't wanna say, oh, I'm having anal sex. Things happen, whatever tickles your pickle, whatever you like and however you wanna <laughs> do it, it works for you. So if you like to have anal sex, just let your doctors know exactly how you're having sex so we can test you and treat you accordingly. And that kind of goes into the next question. So with the person who is brand new, newly diagnosed, you know, all three of us take care of this every day on a day in day out basis. Yep. What can a person who is newly diagnosed, what are the steps does the health department take to receive health services? And what is your role as the health department to help these people stay in care? Like, so what What can they expect if Say I got diagnosed today. What's my step if I came to the health department or if I even came to neighborhood? What is the steps and what role does the health department play in that?
2: Absolutely, you bring up a great point because a lot of people don't know that's the unknown and part of the fear that keep people from doing it. Mm -hmm. The reality is if they test positive at the health department or at one of our organizations, we have our staff trained very well to know post-test counseling and let's get this person access to treatment and care seen in front of a doctor get a blood pool do all of this as soon as we can and make sure that they have medication to start as soon as possible yeah. but that's really whirlwind you know there's a lot that happens in between there right so when somebody is newly diagnosed and their first interaction with the health department is going to be with an individual called a dis or disease intervention specialist. And that person is going to sit there and talk to them, let them know what that result of their test means, do a little bit of talking to them about some of their recent sexual um, activities or so to make sure that if there are other people that they were with who are potentially also exposed to HIV, that those people could gain access to treatment. It's really important um, that somebody knows that they are at risk and that they should get tested. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basic human right, especially with something like HIV, if left unchecked, untreated, can really, really hurt people. So, um, they meet with the, that person, they do what's called partner services, where we help them with those talkings and stuff like that to make sure that they're comfortable disclosing to their partners, make sure they're comfortable talking to their healthcare providers about this diagnosis, what's next step. And then after that, the, the DIS says, hey, there is somebody at the health department whose sole job it is is to help you navigate some of the stuff that's complex about this, help you find if you don't have a doctor, let's help you find a doctor. If you don't have a, a where you go for primary care, let's get you one. If you don't have the money or the resources to be able to afford that care, you don't have insurance or you're underinsured or you just don't know where to start, let us help you. There's several providers that we have really good working relationships with that specifically provide access to services for everyone, regardless of their ability to pay. You know, in some cases, if people can afford to pay a little, they might have to pay a little. Mm -hmm. If they can't afford to pay anything, they are not going to be charged anything because accessing this treatment and care is vital and these organizations do it for our community on behalf of you know the federal they you know they receive monies and things from the county and state and things to do this for our communities so it's absolutely you know vital like you had mentioned earlier that people know where the resources are things like that are you still yeah. there, guys? Oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the okay, frozen okay. a little bit. Um, but, but so linkage is vital. Go ahead.
1: So also with you know saying when somebody becomes HIV positive and they actually fall into the realm, you know saying their main thing is now is, um, what am I going to do sexually? So I know neighborhood and bond and the health problem. We all in that fight together as far as pep and prep. So can you explain a little bit too about that process when it goes into about how we can notify their partners and provide them with those services as well? Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. So in a PEP and PrEP instance, um, we you know we in my office provide that you guys at Neighborhood. There's lots of other that offer access to Mm -hmm. uh, PrEP services. So PrEP services are ones that we, we it's a medication that people can take, of course, that will prevent them from getting HIV. So, those things are making sure they have access to HIV testing and all the other tests that the doctor's gonna require before issuing that prescription for the medication. Um, but the bigger one I think you brought up is, is PEP, because PEP is an urgent need. PEP is a post exposure prophylaxis. So, if somebody has an encounter that, you know, maybe they were assaulted or maybe they just, you know, Weren't thinking, or were intoxicated, or second guess the next right. day. Ultimately, they that person is afraid that they had an exposure, and if that person gets to one of our organizations, the health department, neighborhood, these are the, the even the hospital, TMH, and sometimes with as soon as possible, at maximum, no longer the seventy-two hours from that time. Then seventy-two hours is a little pushing it. 24 to 48 as as quickly as possible afterwards, <laughs> and starts that medication. Takes that medication exactly as prescribed. There is a, it's extremely effective. Almost a, I, I wouldn't say 100%, but a, you as close to a 100% chance of being effective at preventing that infection as possible. Right, and that people know that where and Matthias brought up an important point: people not knowing what to say. We've encountered a thing where people had called seeking help. And seeking immediate access to treatment. And when they call the line, they say, Well, I'd like to make an appointment. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and don't mention to the person answering the line, I was exposed or I was assaulted. Those are key words that a medical provider or anybody is going to be listening to to say, We need to intervene right now. We're going to drop things, move around, do what we have to do to get you seen immediately. So letting people know to actually be able to voice it, to not be afraid to say something about HIV, STD, something to do with sex and when they're talking about their healthcare, it's really important because time is of the essence. You know, if that medication can be gotten to the person fast enough, it's very effective. But if not, you know, after that 72 hour period, then it's a waiting game. You know yep. that you, that person has to wait at least the ten to fourteen day period before they can take a blood test that'll tell them if their recent exposure was, you know, one that made them have HIV. I,
0: so, I'm I'm glad you co- covered that, and broke that down the way you did because um, I, I I could be wrong, but I believe that people are getting the idea because of whatever narrative that is out there about pep that hey okay i can just drop everything and just go get this go get this pill that's going to help me because i had a a, uh uh-oh situation or it's or some people are using that as their safe sex Mm -hmm. and we want to get we want people to understand well you you have to really plan this out think this out because we're talking we're not just talking about hiv prevention we're talking about std prevention as well Mm -hmm. and and once again we want people to stop looking at hiv like the big boogeyman std when some of these stds could be way more harmful to your body than hiv in a shorter amount of time
2: yep
0: so and so that's the truth joe that's the truth pep is an emergency use it's not regular contraceptive or prophylaxis use. That's not what PEP or PrEP is for. Like PrEP is more regular use, but PEP, mm-hmm. that's hey, something went terribly wrong or, or a mishap happened. And here we are. But um, I think because you know, we've all seen an increase of people coming in for PEP and it's like well, you've never really seen this many people before. But I believe it's just because of misconceptions and and false narratives out there about the medicine and about Hey, you can just go get this and clear everything up. But like you say, hey, but well, what if what if you had sex Monday and you learn about this on Thursday?
2: It's an emergency. You said the key word. It's a it's an emerg- emergency use for that exposure. You know, if somebody has to realize that there's a lot of work clinically and background stuff to go in to do this, and yes. that those twenty-eight to thirty days worth of medication you get would cost them about seven thousand dollars if yeah. there weren't an assistance program and if you try to do this every month the assistance program is going to say all right wait a second you've already participated so, yeah. yeah you know it's and it's very very difficult at that point um to be able to get it so you certainly it certainly shouldn't be used as hey you know i'll just pop in tomorrow morning and get to get some pills thanks right. a lot right but you brought up a really great point about prep a lot of people assume that prep equals I never have to use a condom ever again. And people think that for some reason people think that HIV is easy to get yeah yeah. And I say, it no is. it actually takes the stars aligning the, the situation I has to be just right to get an HIV infection. Syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, whoo. get easy. close to that person. touch them right. <laughs> you know Act, touch touch an open wound and pretty much you got it. Right. Even with your fingers. Oh, no, you got chlamydia fingers. You better yeah. go get that taken care of. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. They're so I, much I, easier and so much more transmissible than HIV is. And PrEP isn't going to do anything to prevent those. Exactly, Not at all. Exactly. But, having those infections that are untreated reduces the effectiveness of the PrEP. You're right. <laughs> you preaching the same thing we preach,
0: and
2: the
1: thing is that we also want people to know why we talk about pep and prep all the time and we keep reiterating it so make sure you go back we talked about it with two clinical hiv pharmacists on previous podcasts and previous um healthy happy hours but we want you guys to understand if you do have insurance i want people to understand this if you have insurance a lot of these medications for pep and prep call for a prior authorization that takes 24 hours for an emergency prior authorization. So you come to me on hour 48. I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it real hard to try to get this medication to you ASAP. But if you know you have insurance and there was an exposure and you could possibly think it was, call me after the exposure. I'm fine with that. Or first thing yep. in the morning, don't yep. wait to 4 o'clock on a Friday
2: mm-hmm. or 5
1: o'clock on a Friday because guess what? Insurance companies close.
2: That's right.
1: They prior authorization departments closed. We want people to understand we go through heck and high water to get the people what they need for at no cost to them. But you have to help us help you. And calling mm-hmm. me at five o'clock on a a Friday afternoon, we we pushing the yeah time. We we push it. We we make it work, but we pushing it because. We praying that your insurance company allows us to do this 24 hour process. We pray that they allow us that there's no prior authorization needed for the medication. Because then we have to go back and then, which pharmacy can you use for some insurances? It takes certain pharmacies because it's a specialty medication. So those are the things. I done had to have stuff overnighted where the pharmacy from Orlando had to drive it to Tallahassee to another location just to make sure a patient gets it. But guess what? We make it work and it's a lot of work on our end to help people get those things but we want you to understand help us help you right as soon as you figure out it's the thing or your possible think in your mind inclination that it could be call one of us do something walk into some don't be scared i want you to be your biggest advocate come here and don't be scared to say hey i think i was exposed to hiv that will get you in the dough faster than anything in the world yeah don't sit there and tell people oh I just need to make an appointment I think I might you know say I want to get an STD test that to me says, okay I think I want to get one so that means I'm possibly you know what I'm saying I'm not in a rush I'm not this but you come in here and say hey I was exposed to HIV or an STD I need help that's a totally different conversation yeah that, the same thing with the health department
2: calls. clinic at RNS if somebody calls even though we have lots of appointments if somebody calls for just a general appointment, they might be told, you know, maybe we have an appointment available in a week. We can get you in. But if they call and say, mm-hmm. I've been exposed to HIV or STD, we have specific carve-outs on the schedule every day specifically for that. So if somebody mm-hmm. comes in believing that they might have been exposed or test and treat where they want, need, want to see a provider that mm-hmm. day to be seen, we guarantee.
1: Okay, a big question too, James. What is test and treat? How to to bet right here in Leon County.
2: Absolutely, that's a great question. So test and treat is. it originally started as an idea to immediately start treatment in 2016 the. The National Institutes of Health updated the HIV treatment guidelines for adolescents and adults and they changed what used to be. Waiting usually three, six months or so, or waiting for CD4 levels to drop before starting treatment. And the new guidelines said, no. People with HIV have much better health outcomes if they start antiretroviral treatment immediately. Yeah, so they took that to heart and developed an idea that if we can treat somebody literally the same day they find out that they have HIV, we can get them seen by a provider, we can collect blood have that sent off to the lab so we can determine a baseline of where this person is in their HIV infection, get counseled by this medical doctor and walk out the door with 30 days worth of HIV medication to start taking right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take your first one today. This is a once a day pill that you take every day. It's not 10 pills a day. It's nothing like that. One pill once a day. Start taking it now. The linkage specialist then works with that person, works with neighborhood, works with CarePoint, Bond, whomever that person wants to go to to get medical care and helps get them established and helps them establish that medical home where they're going to get continued access to the HIV medication, where that next prescription for their medications is going to come from. And that's the path to starting viral suppression. The medication these days is very, very, very good. I've seen instances where somebody who has a viral load, never been on treatment, has a viral load of 300, 400,000 millions that is suppressed in a month, a month and a half later, are so little HIV found in their system that it can't even be picked up on a test. That's a miracle. And that's exactly where we need people to be. We need everybody with HIV to achieve viral suppression and stay there because once we do that HIV infections are going to stop yeah everybody with hiv knows their status and takes treatment and takes steps to achieve that viral suppression that is how we are going to overcome this epidemic
0: yeah undetectable means
2: untransmittable that's what we're trying to get to say it again because yes, I, I, I can tell you for years the health department even though we knew that the rest of the world knew that advocates around the world knew that U equals U, undetectable is untransmissible. We weren't allowed to say it out loud. We could have been fired for even just saying those words. But in 2018, I think it was 2018. Yeah, around the time. Of change. We're brave enough, the CDC finally put out a memorandum stating it. And I will scream it from a rooftop now because that's exactly right. If somebody can achieve undetectable and stay that way, they will never ever transmit HIV to anyone. Right. Right. They right, will right. have they can have a wife go raw, have a, all the fun they want with their mutual partner without concern about transmitting, have children, as many children as they care to. Yeah. And not worry about transmitting HIV yep. to the children. Yep. So and HIV. Yeah, you had said it at the beginning. HIV is not a death sentence hiv now is a at this point as you can access treatment It's a little bit of an annoyance but it's nothing about it is going to stop you from loving from enjoying and living your life exactly nothing. exactly uh james
0: we we definitely appreciate you stopping by um oh, man yes, you dropped do. off so much good information and and i just uh, i just uh, have already just appreciated you for for what you've always done. And I, you know, I've, I've expressed that when express it again, I uh, appreciate you. Um, the passion that you have, your vision, the heart for what you do. You're not a person who just comes to work. This is what you want to do every day. So definitely thank you for that. Um, so somebody see this interview, they like, Hey, I like this, man. I want to work with this man. I want to learn more
2: about him. How can people get in contact with you? Oh man! So just like you said, we, our office is located at that 872 West Orange Avenue, and we're here Monday through Friday, uh, eight to five, which is Health Department operating hours, except for holidays, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, but reach out on the phone number 850 is 850-404-6240 is our main office number. Can reach out or just call the Health Department main line, 850-404-6300 and they could access the HIV program through the prompt. Um, email us, you can send me an email or, or just step on in. We're um, absolutely delighted to have okay. uh, people. Have. All right.
0: and your your email is james.easton at flhealth.gov.
2: Yep. First name dot last. So J-A-M-E-S dot E-A-S-T-O-N, just like the baseball bat or the hockey stick (laughs) uh, at FL Health, one word, dot G-O-V. Okay.
0: All right. Well, yes, once again, James, I appreciate you and looking forward to doing more work with you in the community. And you blessed our podcast with your wisdom.
2: You have. You have. So your podcast blesses our community. So thank you guys again for all you do and for bringing this really important conversation to, to our area. So thank yes, you so much.
0: Thank you. So once thank again, you. once again, everybody, remember this is my, This is how we do it, mind your body. And so that's why we're the healthiest podcast out here in these podcast streets, right? So mm-hmm. remember, we're an educational podcast that focuses on all things health related to help our listeners learn more about various health topics and information they may not have access to that uh, because we seek to inform, empower, uplift, and mobilize our listeners to becoming the healthiest versions of themselves. NMCpodcast.com, NeighborhoodMedicalCenter.org. Remember, we're on Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Podcast. Subscribe to this YouTube channel, like this video, comment, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And we out here. So with that being said, he's James Easton. He's the man. He's the sweet. Thank you I'm so much. Joseph Ward, and we out of here. See y'all next time.